0: We uh, are trained Marxists. And I was speaking to this uh, young person from Arizona. He grabbed a book and he said, it's like Mal's Red Book. And I was like, man, that's what I was thinking. And it was just really cool to hear him make that connection. I was like, how about you buy like 10 to 15 of these books and you all have like a youth like organizing group where you talk about it. right i still can't believe this but your video is our most viewed video of all time it has 25 million views to this date and it was posted back in august 2019 so it's been about a year and a half and it's got 25 million views how does that feel for you can you just give a summary of like what it was like to do the video and then a little bit about yourself and um then we'll get more into the details
1: well as you probably knew, I wasn't expecting anything. I mean, I, I take any opportunity that I can take to try to open people's eyes because it, it's getting dangerous. I mean, ignorance is the base for what's going on here today, and if you can open as many people's eyes as you can, the better. But I wasn't expecting this to get that crazy, and I think you're right. You probably know I don't, I don't do any social media other than a little bit I did with Parler. I pretty much get kicked out of everywhere because of the things I say.
2: And uh, I got
1: tired of fighting that only one side. But uh, the last time we talked, when the video came out, it was surprising because it went to eight point five million in like two weeks or something. But now you're saying twenty five million. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. But I, it feels about right because I got people stop me on on a naval base that I was doing work, and I got some sailors coming to me and like they they recognize me. I, I freaked me out a little bit because. They were like, hey, are you ready? What did I do? It? Yes, swabbing. and what did I broke? <laughs> yeah, he just told me the video. So yeah, it's going everywhere. I, I'm glad.
0: Yeah. And what's, what's really cool about it is we posted it originally in August. We, and we used to do a lot more like social influencer kind of stuff where we would, you know, pay people with big followings to share. And that's really how we grew in the beginning. Uh, But we would just repost the video organically. And I'm talking like May, 2020 during coronavirus, when it first got pretty bad, we just reshared the video. And again, it got like another millions and millions and millions of views. And so it just, is such a powerful story. And I I laugh because remember that day when we were filming it, there was like cicadas in the background. It was shady. The sun was going through the trees and it would hit your face. And uh, And the creepy people. Do
1: you remember the creepy people?
0: Oh yeah. And there were people that were there that sat right next to us. It was just weird because we were filming in like a public park sort of. But it really just showed the power of the story and the details uh, really does overshine any flaws with uh, production quality. So it's really all a testament to the power of your your story so if we could get into that uh i think so many people have seen the video but at the same time we have so many new followers that might not be familiar with your story so can you give just a quick like one minute summary on where you're from how you came to america and what you're doing now
1: well i I would try so i'm i'm originally from cuba i was born and raised there and Pretty much from the time I was 13 that I developed my own brain and started realizing the kind of poop society you know for the lack of another word I was living in and I, from that point on teenage years and ahead I started pretty much any chance I got I, I tried to escape queue you name it holy cats catamarans raft boats canoe any kind of failure hobby. but uh, by, the age, by the age of 27 that's when I I managed to acquire windsurfing equipment, and I got fed up, tired enough. And, well, the story is even more. This being there, being detained, uh, they cannot prosecute me because they couldn't create a case too well with me because the position my mom held held until the day she died. Then it was uh, open uh, open season on me, so I had to get off. So, yes, I escaped on a windsurfing board. I'm not the only one. I don't want all the credit. Uh, we do all know each other pretty much. Uh, five or six of us are in Miami. Uh, I'm not in Miami anymore, but they deserve the credit. Uh, the reason I did is because I knew they did it and they succeed, so I knew there was some chances. Or although dying in the process, I wouldn't mind it, as you you know. And we talk about. It. I mean, once you, I know it's a cliche, but if you're born in America, you burn with the giving, the given fact that you're free. So you don't really know the the, the the meaning of not being free. So when when you realize that you are at that point in the middle of the ocean, first time in your life, 27 years old, and you realize you're free, you would die with a smile on your face. It's, it's weird to explain. You made it first, so you're free, even if you died right there. So that's me. Uh, got it to the U.S., went to the Army because I want to earn it. I didn't want any hands out, as you also probably know. And we met later on uh, through a friend that, got us in content about the story. And I'm every, even before the interview, I've always been very eager and very passionate to show people about the reality about socialism and the thing that it, it involves you. People don't know that socialism is, many people, they don't know. Socialism is not a political view. It's the economical uh, system that communism used. Like the US is, is a, uh, how do you call it? It's constitutional constitutional republic that uses capitalism as the economical system. So communism is a political system that uses socialism to kind of pretend that they're running themselves economically and it's, it's not sustainable. Eventually, like it or not, it evolves into dictatorship and communism. There's no way to sustain it other by imposing it.
0: Yeah, actually, thank you for explaining that, because so many people are just confused about those concepts, and specifically with young Americans. And and you and I have talked about the statistics before. It's why we started this organization, uh, because I saw a poll in 2019 that said a majority of young Americans would choose socialism over capitalism. And we can get into this at the end, but I'm seeing, Ray, in America, it's quite concerning because usually you implement socialism to get economic control, right? The government then has economic control over the people with socialism. And I'm worried that with this woke corporatism that we're seeing in America, they're able to economically and financially control us to get certain behavior and action out of us without having to have been seized by the socialists and and the left. So it's quite strange uh, to see it. And it's really unprecedented compared to Cuba and Venezuela and other socialist uprisings. But uh, we can get into that in a little bit. I want to kind of start from the beginning. If we could go, you told me a really interesting story about um, your mother and what she would do to boil potatoes. So can you kind of walk us through what it was like for your mom to have to feed you and your family uh, when you were a boy in Cuba?
1: Now, in order to understand that a little bit more, let me go back a little bit. Okay. Uh, In socialist slash communist Cuba, you don't get to pick what kind of uh, career you pick. Let's say you you go to school uh, right after high school. That school that you are will receive certain places for certain career. Like they will, they, will, they will give that school five positions for medicine, five positions for veterinary, five positions for lawyers, things like that. So depending on how you rank on your grades, you get to pick the most desirable one or the least desirable one. Um, most of the time, you don't get to pick uh, what you go. You just grab whatever is left for your ranking on. Um, being a lawyer, law, law is not one of the it's not one of the low low ranking one. It's one of the medium to high ranking one. Medicine is one of the high ranking ones. So I guess by the time uh, my mom was coming out of, uh, uh, let me say, so you get a, a time frame. By the time the revolution took control of Cuba, Castro, my mom was probably six or seven, and so she pretty much grew up on the castle. So by the time she was done with the high school. What was available for her and what she couldn't get was law. So eventually, she became a lawyer. That, that, that's your basic degree. Then you evolved from there into the what here in the U.S. would it be the prosecution side, or just acting as a lawyer. Being a lawyer in Cuba is a joke. There's nothing you can defend. I mean, the, the the entire law. There's no one side of the law that would defend the people. One side of the law that would defend the state. No, the entire law system is for the state. And you are always guilty before, all the time. You, ha- you have to prove that you're not guilty. So she went on the persecution side. Eventually, she ended up in charge. We don't have uh, states in here. They have uh, provinces, but it's the same. So my mom wouldn't be uh, the final uh, rank that she got. She wouldn't be what it, what it is here, the state attorney, the, the, the entire state attorney. So on her power was to give people freedom. And this is the this is the thing yes i know how it looks being an official of the government but my mom was on the good side on the ground side of the official of the government and i'm going to tell you what, what happened so because anyone in cuba that is in prison or in jail that is not for murder or rape is in prison for surviving period it doesn't it, even open for discussion technically some people steal to survive but when everything belongs to the government so there's two kind of thief in Cuba, the society. See, two kind of thief. That one that break into your house and steal from you, that's the low class. That's, that's for us. That's Yes, you're a thief. You're scum of the earth. But that's only like 5% of it. 95% of all thieves in Cuba steal from the government because everything belongs to the government. If you're starving, I mean, if you're a farmer and you have cows, you are the keeper of the cows. You're not the owner of the cow. The government owns the cow. So you think you're going to have cows and your family is starving and you're not going to kill one to eat? So that makes that farmer a criminal under the view of, of a society that everything's owned by the government. So you see the dual standard our society, well, not our, that society, that's just not by choice, but that society learned to live with that dual standard and that acceptance of being a criminal but not real, like the Robin Hood criminal and the criminal criminal. Because
2: everyone
1: that, is, everyone that is in prison, and I told you that is not for rape or murder, is in prison for surviving or political, for saying something there to say something against the government, like the ladies in white. So uh, my mom, uh, when, they were, when she was a leader, she grew up in a Catholic environment. Later on, Catholic took uh, absolute control of the island. Religion became a problem. And going to church, you will lose your job, period no one was allowed to go to church so the very few that went to church were the 70 year, 70 80 year old ladies that they have nothing else to lose and the society don't the, the, the government don't care about them and they went they have nothing else to lose but everybody else wasn't there all the way to the late 80s since 1959 do
0: you know, do you know why that was the case was it a rejection of Christianity or no I know it's
1: like no because the Catholic Church never shake hands with the dictatorship, never. Now the Protestant the the Protestant side of the church did eventually uh, get in bed with the government. Uh, we don't we don't need to jump into the religious side of this, but um, I guess depend who's in charge of the church at that time. Okay. So it, 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 Christmas was prohibited. There was no Christmas in Cuba until 1998, that the, the John Paul II was coming visiting the island, and I'm gonna tell you why Christmas disappeared in Cuba. Um, it's always in the name of something greater than good. Always. That's how they always acquire your freedoms, your liberties, your guns, your, your everything. So, 1970s. We get inside track a little bit. I'm gonna go back to oh, my man. Cool. So, in the 1970s Castro was obsessed with meeting uh, a production of sugar, like one million ton of sugar, something insane, in order to pay the Soviet Union debt, because Cuba has a, a massive debt with with the Russian today. But by that time, the Soviet Union, the debt continued, even though the Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore. It was like 25 billion dollars. Anyway, he got obsessed with a million tons of, of sugar. And he said, listen people, for the greater good of a nation, uh, we might as well get away with Christmas this year in order to keep ramp up the production. That's it, no more Christmas. <laughs> it never came back. That's
0: what my- the reason was for more productivity?
1: More productivity. Work on He's a sneaky bastard. He's a sneaky bastard. He had all his planned ahead of time. We were, oh, okay, this year, okay, only for the production. We get it back later. Yes, sure, never. So until 1998, that it was convenient for him, because the Pope was coming, first time any Pope visited Cuba, he said, 15 days or of, of something, before the Pope came, hey, hey, hey we're going to have Christmas. We're gonna have Christmas now. It's okay. It's okay, guys. Yeah, it's good. Good. Go to church now. People went to prison and lost their job for going to church. That that's that's one key factor. I'm telling you because it, this is starting to smell like that a lot. Like forget about freedom of of, of uh, press. It's gone.
0: I, I don't
2: know if you know other than well, news, independent COVID-19 people.
0: Yeah, it reminds uh, me of how they're telling us that they're doing this for safety and that's why we can't go to church. Always, it's very similar to what, what Castro it is. It is
1: always on the name of some, for the greater good of the people. Yeah. Bull crap, it's not. That's, that's that's the roofie. That's the roofie to get you, to convince you to sit on the bed first and then to push you back and lay you down the bed and then flip you upside down and now you know what we're doing.
0: Right. So all right this all is right. this is for young people to learn so let's keep it pg pg that, that,
1: that's why i stopped there so that's,
0: that's back analysis. to my mom
2: mm-hmm.
1: so she ended up with that position like the equivalent of the state attorney and on her power was to give people freedom okay. So she, she got the power to say okay you you got your parole go on parole go on i don't know how do you call it like good behavior release early release yeah and, yeah uh, so she was doing that left and right to anyone that wasn't a murder or a rapist. So we got really fast on the black list of the government. But it's really hard to fight the state attorney, you know, especially when she's not openly against She's using their law against their, you know, and it, and it worked out. But on the underground, yes, our phone got intervened. Oh, I forgot. At that time, when I was 13, I already had a big mouth and that didn't help. Uh, there was a point that I didn't even need to give you my address if I want you to come by my house. I didn't have to give you the address. All I had to give you is a big reference point, like in a stadium. Hey, you know that baseball stadium nearby? Yeah, just go there and start asking for the crazy guy that lives on the fourth floor. You do that, everybody will point you to my house. Oh yeah, they want the screen from the balcony. There to Castro and the end to the the end to the commons. Yeah, he, yeah, that crazy guy lives out there. People will point you to where I live. They knew they knew that much so because of that um, you, you could see in my house lines of family members coming by because I just let me give you a sample of 73 or 76 independent journalists their crime was to be independent journalists they got, many of them got sentenced to life in prison so what they did if you were from Chicago one of these journalists, they will put you in prison in Florida. If you were from Florida, they would put you in prison in Washington on the very far opposite end, just to make it harder in your family and harder into kind of trying to appeal uh, any of the case or to do anything. It, may, it makes it harder. So family members that have their family on, on prison, they will come to my house and they will bring, my mom would agree to bring like first cleaning stuff like toilet paper, toothpaste, b- very basic items that the people would need in there because the prison wouldn't provide you any of that. Oh, they don't have any. So the lines outside my house of people, family members to consult and talk to my mom, the case, they were never ending. Like the, many of the time we ended up okay, stay, we have dinner with us. It's all all day long. And my mom over the, uh, over the age of 50-something, she already have osteoporosis. You know, when women, they get at that age, if they have a really poor diet of calcium, the, the osteoporosis takes over. and So she was struggling with health. So the government, in order to make it harder for her and do her job, she's supposed to have a vehicle provided by the government to go and visit all the prisons and see the people. They took away the vehicle and see if my mom uh, stopped doing that care because she was carrying bags. Like care bags for the people in prison, uh, for those people that with the stuff that's like choose, pays and first necessity stuff. And she was the, giving them freedom as many as you could through the process. And uh, the government didn't like that at all. So they started tightening, and, and making it harder on her to the point that my mom was climbing on dump trucks, hijacking to go and do her job and climbing the big, weird, the big tire wheels of the truck climbing mean, into the dumb side of a, of a bed of a truck with all the people's like personal back to get to prison and start giving it away. I, you should have seen, the day my mom died, you should have seen her funeral. The, the, this, the street in front of the funeral home was blocked. This, it was hundreds and hundreds of people, people that were grateful for things that she did. Later on, those people, a lot of them helped me to to get out of the island because in order for me to get approved, To leave, I had to surrender all our belongings. They would send a guy to my house and inventory everything. 14 forks, okay, a table here, a refrigerator. If by the time I was leaving, any of that thing were missing, I wouldn't be able to leave.
0: So that was if you wanted to leave the country and and come to The
1: proper way. You know, at the end, I ended up coming the proper way. But uh, in order to be released by the government, you needed a permit. And involve it, it involves that, but only on the cases of people that leave to the U.S. Because you're a trader. If you leave to Spain, not, none of that matter. None of that applies. Yeah. If you were leaving to the U.S., you lose
2: everything. Interesting. Now, uh, that so in
0: criminals. I did you tell me earlier that some of the people that went to prison it was for things like going out into the ocean and picking up lobsters and trying to just even, eat yeah. get
1: even. I don't That's know easy. why is it so hard to believe. That's one of the harder things for people to believe, that a lobster will get you to prison. It is, even today. I mean, a lot of things have changed later in Cuba. I mean, not the, not the government, or the regime, but they figured out that they, in order to make money to survive, they need to bend a little bit, but that hasn't been. Beef and lobster, <laughs> they're obsessed with those two. You still can go to prison. A Cuban, Cuba is an island, and if you're a Cuban, you cannot jump on the ocean. Without the aids or any school, or, uh, school equipment, just by you alone, you cannot catch one lobster. You're not allowed to. Now the government gets about, you know, containers, boats, whatever. Actually, there's pictures of Castro uh, fishing lobster. It was okay for him, not for the people.
0: Yeah.
1: Just as you know.
0: That's fat. And so was it because they wanted to, it was government property technically, like all the animals in the sea, they were- well,
1: nah, No, all the animals. Lobster was a high seller item. Oh. Good money maker. For, tour- for the tourism industry and uh, exporting and on. Yeah,
0: not for the people.
1: <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> yeah, not for the people.
0: So what's that potato story that you were telling me about your mom? Did she, what she do with the furniture?
1: Well, it got 1993. So now you have the background of what she was doing and, and her precision. I was a teenager. I was going to school. I had a big mouth. So I was on pretty much every black list. I couldn't step outside my house. Like every other week, the, the 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 it's called the chief of sector. That's like a, a small police station in charge of that area. I want to allow, oh, by the way, in Cuba, you're not allowed to be shirtless unless you are in a beach area. That's, you, you can get a fine. But I, I'm a teenager. It's a tropical island. I just got out of my house. I go shirtless. So I, that would open up an excuse for them to give me a beating or detain me and, you know, do anything they want. Bottom line, I was a big mouth and that didn't help with my mom. And what she was doing for work and, and giving people freedom, it made things for us really, really hard. Uh, she wouldn't be, if you don't go into the black market in Cuba, you won't survive. And a lot of people were scared to sell us under the table an extra pound of bread. So everybody else would do that and everybody survived and goes by, but for us, and I was too young, I didn't have, I, my, my, my focus was to stay in school. Any other one that would have quit school would have given some kind of underground black market business like, I don't know, fixing bicycles or reselling computer parts. That. But we couldn't do that. You no, know what? A lot of people were afraid. of. Oh, you're the son of a state attorney? No, no, no. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have beef. What do you mean I don't have beef? I need to buy beef. Do You have any beef to sell? Aren't you the son of the, you know? The, no, dude, no, I don't do any of that. So that made it really hard. Not that that was the main reason, but in 1993, everybody has said, "I think if you didn't have the last name Castro, on 1993 you were scratching for surviving." 1993 was really, really bad. I remember when I go to the dentist here and they see my teeth inside full of a metal, old-fashioned metal feeling. I tell my dad that, listen. I used to grab rocks of sugar that the dump truck, the dump truck. Um, When a dump truck full of sugar comes to the seaport to send out that sugar, they dump it into these big silos that swallow the sugar. And so they have big bars in between to prevent anything big uh, to go through other than the sugar. So on top of of those bars, you get a buildup of sugar. But with humidity and more sugar and more humidity, they ended up turning into rock. So we, me and a friend, we used to go there and grab pieces of it just to eat it. We used to eat raw crystal sugar with your teeth you know what i can do to your teeth I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm still have all of them which is amazing i don't even know how i accomplished that but yeah, one of the really bad times to survive so there was a point that there was nothing to go by and i remember for some reason that part of the year potato was the only thing that was showing up on the on the, on the government-owned market you don't go to those markets and buy whatever it pleases you You go to the market with a ration card and then look to see what you're entitled and how many you got. So for that month, we got our ration of potato, which is not much. I mean, I'm talking if we got five pounds between the two of us, that was too much. But there was nothing else. That's it. Potato. And no electricity, no propane, because here in the U.S., uh, electricity for cooking is kind of like the preferred way. Uh, Your stove is mostly electrical. In Cuba is propane is the preferred most this is standard way when things goes really bad people start burning wood or making charcoal and when things are good they start using electrical but the main the main thing is propane so at that point there was nothing and uh, you can't count on electricity because those are the days that we had 16 hours of blackout people are jokingly, they say you know they were asking around to say so do you know when the blackout schedule is? Instead of asking that people were, you know, when the power up schedule might be, the, 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 uh, it will be easier and faster just to figure out a little bit of hours you got a light uh, electric power. So it got that bad enough. Again, for, because of what my mom used to do, nobody would sell us crap. I mean, they, there's a black market for everything. So there's a black market for a propane bottle. Nope. We don't have any propane bottle for you. Yeah, okay. Uh, so what's next? We need to eat well we uh we two uh, on this household, and we have four uh shares we only need two, and we start burning some of them and not not anywhere i mean in between the two apartments picture a building that when you're going up the stairs, there is a flat that you got one person's door and another person's door so in between that the neighbors we agree with the other guy across the, across the door and, and us and let 's do it let's burn some some of the furniture here and just boil the potato. Lucky you if you got salt, if you find salt. I mean, it wasn't like that all the time. It was a, a period of that that specific time, at which now I can see that it was the rock bottom. It, it, kept, it kept going really bad for a long time. And before 1993 and after uh, 1993, but that day, the potato, that, that scored my mind. That's there we are, destroying our little bit of things that we got to boil potato.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, there's also, I know you said that you were outspoken from the start, but in the beginning, weren't you outspoken in favor of the regime because of the indoctrination in the public schools? Uh, I think you told me the story when the USSR yeah. fell. Can you talk about that? Because that's one of my favorite stories.
1: Yeah, like any other kid, I was brainwashed. And you have to let them be brainwashed. There is an age that you cannot tell the kid in your house to listen what they're telling you. That's not the truth. The truth is this. If you do that to a six-year-old, he's not going to hold his mouth. When he goes back to school, he's going to say what he learned or heard at home and everybody's in trouble. Now we're in deep, deep poop. So, if you have a kid in Cuba at that time, now it's a little bit more relaxed. People are losing fear and people are way more spoken. You still get punished. Like you, If you Google ladies in white, Those are the wife and daughters of the independent journalists. All they do is they go outside dressing white, holding a flower on the hand in silence. But the government knows what that means. And the people knows what that means and who they are. And that's enough, they get a beating. don't, Don't take my word, go online, you millennial people that love to be online and on your phone all the time. Go online and do your own research, ladies in white. And see the beatings they get just for walking in silence. Anyway, where I was back to uh, what, 1990. So I was one of those kids, I, no one and again what my mom used to do for work. More important, I they can't tell, no one can tell me the, the truth. So 1990, I know the the the, the so the is uh, the Soviet Union collapses between 1990 and 1991. But uh, for some reason in my mind I think it's 90 or at least over there in the school so I was on this boarding school. It's 11 days on the school, three days at home. I was a swimmer. Good thing. I was a swim. A sports school. So every morning, there's a massive meeting. It's, it's routine. And they give you the, the daily speech or whatever is going on in the country. So that day, the main subject of the speech, in we call it matutino, means morning session. So the, the main subject that day, it was very unusual because the head director of the school, which don't usually come, to these speeches. He came out every, the entire board of the school was there to give you the speech. The Soviet Union collapsed, people. We're going, we're going to go into the spec. they call this keyword, special period. Option zero. Now, what the hell is option zero, dude? Well, where are we going? The Soviet Union collapses. We don't have that support anymore. The empire is 90 miles from us. We need to be ready and then pumping everybody. Ah, ah, war! <laughs> All the kids, everybody said, oh, my God, the Americans are coming. Let's die now. You get that bad, you get paranoid. So when we got the release from school and after that, they got home and told them, mom, the Soviet Union is collapsing. The, the empire is coming. If they come, I'm going to throw myself out of the balcony. They're not going to catch me alive. And I guess my mom knew how stubborn I, <laughs> I was. When I tell you something, I mean it. If I tell you I'm going to swim across the ocean, I'm going to, cre- I'm going to swim across the ocean. I don't know. Just believe me. If I tell you, I don't give you a second warning. So I guess that's scary enough and tell you, hold on a second, because this one will really jump out of a balcony. Uh, <clears throat> and she opened up and up, she talked. She I got to talk. I got to talk. Listen. And it was surprising because over there, I was nine or 10 in, in geography classes. I'm pretty sure they touch the subject that there are other countries in the world, but it's so, it was so much U.S., Soviet Union, U.S., Soviet Union. I really believe there was only two countries in the planet at age 10. The, 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 the school system over there doesn't make too much emphasis at that time on going over the other countries and, and things like that, but you hear so much at that time, the empire, the, the, the U.S., and the Soviet Union, so much and so much, that I really was impressed to find out that there were more countries other than the U.S. and the Soviet Union. So the, I got the talk, and I I, I remember re- being really angry when I find out I was that deeply manipulated. And and it, I didn't I didn't grow this big mouth right away, but it, it started going. It, just, it it kicked up the process of being more outspoken, and uh, that was. So 1990, 91, three more years and we reached rock bottom. And at that time I was suicidal. I was at a point of kill me, just kill me. The the, the police, the the cities were uh, taken by the military At those days. Anyone that's that's Cuban is listening to me. You know what a gallitos means? That's the nickname because they got that militarized police have a patch that is a fighting cock, a, a rooster, a fighting rooster. And the, the small one, we call in Gallito, like little little rooster. And um every every time I, w- I went out to the street, anyone that went at night, like eight or nine PM, and you walk through one of those main streets, you will get Paul. You will get pulled by uh, one of them and you get questioned and show me your ID and what you're doing. Open the bags, what you had in your bags. And again, anyone that's trying to survive in Cuba will have something illegal on that back. If you have more than 80 grams of bread. You walking on the street. Why do you have two pounds of bread? No one is entitled to two pounds of bread. Enough. Let's go to prison. Let's take take you to the station. And I had long hair at that time already with 13. I had long hair. I think at 14, I got my first tattoo. So you get an idea how rebellious I was. (laughs) 14. I went behind the backs of my mom and got myself a tattoo. Screw it. Uh, Kill me. You too. Kill me. And uh, every time they stopped me, They wouldn't call me the proper way, like, hey, citizen, hey, comrade, no, 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 hey, you faggot, because I got long hair. And I would turn around and say, hey, you, Palestine. (laughs) Let me tell you, Palestine for us is not the classic Palestine, the country for us. For us, Palestine is, you you take Cuba, you cut it in half. Anyone from the east side, the, the, the west side of Cuba, don't like too much the east hey you and you know what i'm talking about call the crab it is like that the west don't like the east why because 99.9 of all the police officers anywhere in Cuba are from the west, from the east side of the island that's the main reason and we don't like each other because you got one side of the island oppressing the other anyway and we call it the nickname their nickname is palestino so we call it you I was going to curse, but I tried to hold myself. <laughs> so every time they stopped me <laughs> from having a long hair and called me faggot, I would turn around and call them, you piece of crap, Palestine. And that would start everything with 13. So I got my beatings, uh, that, that, already, or that right there, open up for a beating. And they would do, it. they would take you on the back of a truck and give you a beating. So officially, uh, you, they're not beating off as a teenage, but you get it. And it, it, I was in trouble all the time. That's why I grew up with a, a big mouth eventually. And I reached a point that I don't care anymore. I don't care anymore. And the, the final proof of it do you think the windsurfing thing escaping is the most daredeviling part of it? God, you shouldn't see the raft that I jumped in once. And he ended up leaking and we didn't make it a mile away. So we were have to swim back at night in dark water, <laughs> swim back for like a mile. That was creepy. That was crazy.
0: Yeah. But again, that out. Oh, man. You,
1: you reach a point that you you, say, you you tell yourself, "I'm done." What what's the option? These are dying out there in the ocean. Kill me. Let's take it. But this is a slow kill. They're killing you soul. Forget about being hungry and, and not having a future or a flat screen TV or nothing. It's burning you soul. You you can see. I I remember seeing myself quitting, getting closer and closer, burnout closer, closer to the point that I don't care anymore. I don't want to leave anymore. And there's a lot of people. Suicide rates in Cuba is huge. Huge. Especially among the older people. Huge. People got enough. There is, there is a point you only can take so much. And
0: yeah.
1: that's a way out. I, I don't blame it. That's the way i out.
0: Well, and so you said that you were beaten up for stuff like the long hair and being, you know, a little sassy whenever they called out to you. Uh, what was the deal with the music? You said that...
1: Something about the Beatles? Oh. What was that? oh, well, flash news during the 60s and 70s, I think the Beatles were prohibited in Cuba. And because anything new, hell no. Uh, my mom used to tell me, sorry, that they had to hide on the basement of a friend's house to listen to the Beatles. And uh, that eventually got soft about the Beatles. They, they didn't care much about the Beatles, but rock, hard rock music in the 90s, 80, late 80s, and 90s. Hard rock music, like heavy metal, Metallica, things like that, Pantera, things like that was part of the rebellious youth, you know? Usually go hand by hand. If you like that kind of music, okay, if you like salsa and all that Latin music, you went more into party, rum, alcohol, let's drink. And that's the other thing, the government likes you drunk. I mean, grocery store might lack on rice and potatoes and stuff like that for you to to be able to feed your family, but alcohol is highly available anywhere you go in Cuba it's better to keep the population drunk and you know and that mentor stays uh, yeah you don't you're not too much of a problem than having you thinking and using your brain so that kind of Latin music kind of thing party style kind of thing didn't go too much against the government because of the what it involves you know is party and celebrating now rock music on the other hand contains a lot of frustration and anger that you need to release. So usually it usually goes hand by hand with young people that are really not too much against the go- uh, with the government on that and kind of like outspoken. And the way we dress, long hair, a society, a very communist, strict society, where the male has to look like a male. You, a guy, have long hair and ear piercing and tattoo, you're the scum of the air. And we pay the price for that. I pay the price for that. Now it's okay. I know everybody has tattoos now. But le- er- late 80s, early 90s, Dude, I paid the price for that. Yeah. So Rob Music and, and against the government were hand by hand, really close. And they knew that.
0: So speaking of, they called you the, you know, the F word when you were walking with long hair. I think it's funny because there's a lot of Americans that are, you know, the social justice Oh, workers.
1: God. I know where you're
0: They're going. Che Guevara shirts and stuff.
1: That guy. I knew scandal. we were going to that guy. On the on yeah. the, on the, on the gay parade somewhere. The- somewhere. This this guy with a a gay guy on a gay parade with Che Guevara t uh, t-shirt on, dude that guy executed gay blank, paint blank, executed gay people, and he Che Guevara look at, go online and research, Che Guevara said in the, in the United Nations, we are killing, I mean, we are executing we will continue executing and we will stay executing people, he said it, do you want anything more than that, I, I can't I can argue his own words. He was known as the vulture of the Cabaña castle. He was the one in charge of the execution of anyone that was against the government. And I told you on the last interview, and I guess for timing reasons reason, you guys didn't add it up, but Che Guevara, um, the few times that the family was allowed to visit the person that was about to be executed. You remember when I told you? Oh yeah. The the last time the family was allowed to see the guy that was about to be executed, Che Guevara didn't walk them through the halls. He would take the family and walk through the shooting field where the fire squad would be, where you can see the pieces of brain and blood on the walls with the flies and all that. He wants your family, he wanted your family to take that message out and traumatize. That's Che Guevara. Mm-hmm.
0: So before he would kill political prisoners, you're saying Che Guevara would bring the family members to witness it so that they would go and tell the story and bring fear to the population. Is that what oh,
2: yeah. Yes.
1: Sadistic mother Sadistic.
0: <laughs> Very I mean, sadistic. If you swear, I could just bleep it out. It's fine, so don't, don't worry right. about that. Uh, but but that's fascinating, and so I think that contrast of what young Americans think Cuba is like and what Che Guevara and Castro are like, it's been so distorted by people like Bernie Sanders who continue to say that uh, Cuba is great. It just has great yeah. literacy programs and a great education and healthcare system. Before we get into your transition out of Cuba, can you just walk me through the healthcare system? What was it like there? Because Cuba is always praised. By people on the left in America for having a great healthcare system. Can you walk us through that?
1: Let me tell you what happened. Back when the Soviet Union was heavily subsidizing Cuba, heavily subsidizing Cuba because of the convenient reason that Cuba, uh, do you think it's because of the ideal of communism? It's not. It's because Cuba was 90 miles from the, from the US, and that provided the Soviet Union a saint heaven for spy satellite, uh, radio station, listening radio station submarine station you name it so anyway the Soviet Union heavily subsidized Cuba because it was convenient and um I love the tribe but what do you want the, the Soviet Union
2: uh, healthcare.
1: the healthcare system so at that point it was really easy for Cuba to heavily subsidize the healthcare system yeah at that time on the 80s and late 70s and 80s not the 90s but the 90s the 90s everything started declining dropping rock bottom on everything uh Cuba had a really advanced healthcare system and uh I guess because also as you go back in time from 1959 when he took charge of it until the 80s so as you as you advance in time a lot of people either die or leave the island so how close as we get to the present more people the migration gets exponentially bigger and bigger and bigger so Going back to their early 70s and uh, late late 70s and early 80s, you still have a lot of good, let's call it the brains. Cuba still had the brain power to teach good doctors to be good doctors, you know. Eventually, that brain power ended up leaving. So what you have today as a doctor in Cuba, I would prefer to go to the barber to to, to, to remove my liver. I will go to the barber in Cuba before I go to the doctor that, it's not the same. So what happened is that late seventies, early eighties, Cuba has the luxury because of the heavy, heavily subsid, sub, uh, subsidised from the Soviet Union. Cuba had the luxury to put a lot of money into the healthcare thing for for bragging reasons. More than anything, for bragging reasons. Do you know that in Cuba they would do anything they can for a female not to have natural? I mean, I. Let me let me organize, not to have a C-section because it looks really good in books, having a, a natural birth alive. So they would tweak those numbers. Anyone my age of Cuban origin would know, do you remember how obsessed was the, the Cuban girl with natural born, natural born alive? Do you remember the number? Nacido vivo, babies, born alive babies, born alive Baby, I don't know why, don't ask me why, why they were so obsessed with those numbers. But Cuba will force, like if you are a female pregnant on delivery day, if there's any complication with your baby that you need a C-session, they will force it to come out for the natural birth canal. Even if the mother dies, even if the baby dies, I don't know why that was an obsession with it, but they did. They did. They will hold on to any other means of delivery in order to force and push out a baby even though it was not risk, his life or the mother's life.
0: Interesting. I'll have to look into that. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah,
1: so... Now, eventually, when the the Soviet Union collapses, Cuba cannot, because, again, socialism is not sustainable. You cannot keep up with the demands and consumption of a healthcare system, the amount of money and resources that you need, just being subsidized by the government. On a country, that Cuba doesn't collect taxes at that time. So there's not a revenue system. It's 100% stayed on and subsidized. So when things start getting, because when everything's shine, everybody's happy. When there's food in the grocery store, the doctor is happy to go to work, the healthcare is okay, and everybody does his job happily. The night is come, food disappears from the, from the, from the grocery stores. Doctors don't, don't they reach a point that, they reach the conclusion, wait, hold on a second. I'm a brain surgeon and I open in people's hall during the day, but the guy that plays the guitar in a hotel makes more money than me. Screw this! I'm leaving. I'm gonna. I'm gonna, gonna learn to play guitars, and that's the actual fact. So the 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 at the, uh, the late nineties, the only brain pediatric brain surgeon of my city, and I'm not gonna say his name, but we we knew him. Uh, that we we were close. During the night, he plays guitar in hotels. Late nineties, and during the day. I mean, he did, it. he did it because, you know, he's the only pediatrician brain surgeon. So I guess he felt the call on his heart to go and still do a little bit of his job that he could have. But that wasn't pain to to, to feed his family. He had to play guitar for tourists. So that body got, I mean, you see in the picture, holy crap, that when my, that when my mom got a brain aneurysm, we had to go to the neurological floor of the hospital. We were, for some reason, when aneurysms uh, blow up in your, in your head, the blood pressure on it can mess with anything in your body. I mean, you got something irritating the brain. And that, that can end up uh, getting weird things. Like on my mom's case, she would have cramps that she feels like she needed to use the toilet. On and off, on and off. So we, this is kind of graphic. We were, you know the bed pen that you're supposed to use yeah. on bed? One bedpan for 76 people. Do you want me to describe to you how that bedpan looked on the inside? Just I'm gonna leave it. I'm gonna leave it to your imagination. Not a single nurse to be found on that entire floor. 76 people dying for some re- neurological reason, throw out there on those beds. I think Auschwitz had better beds and bunks. That, that neurological room uh, floor in the in the in matanza city uh, hospital mm. the, the stink the window the, the the filth the bed the bedding on it god no one deserved to die like that yeah that that bedpan dude that that bedpan traumatized i'm sorry
0: that's Wow. So did you leave? Your mother passed away when you were still in Cuba, and then is that why you decided to leave?
1: No, the, this is the thing. So the government over there, they're really good at getting rid of you. And the, the fact that uh, at any given time you ask, hey, where's, uh, where's Morgan at? Oh, do you hear her? Morgan grabbed a barge. She took a, a raft. She's gone. So not seeing Morgan is very common. Morgan might disappear any given day. So the government, the KGB, the Cuban KGB, they know that. So it's really easy to make Morgan disappear. That all they had to do is spread the 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 rumors that you took a raft. You don't have to make it anywhere. You took yeah. a raft, and that's it. I wonder today how many people just took a raft and they're gone. Because when you do that, and I know because I did it every time I did it, I didn't tell my mom. Do you think I'm gonna tell my mom I'm about to jump on a raft? She will get in front of me. And she will hold me. She will tie me down. So people don't tell the family. That they're about to jump on the rat, so that's very convenient to get rid of you. So, when an aneurysm thing with my mom came out, I don't know if you know, but you only have 72 hours. from the moment the aneurysm ruptured, you only have 72 hours to intervene. Anything past the 72 hours, your chances of surviving are going down like a cascade. So, what did they have to do to get rid of her? There is a police officer on every hospital. Just taking any emergency, any anyone that walks with an injury in Cuba, there is a, a a police guy at the door. Hopefully, I mean, if he's not if he's not around in the kitchen trying to steal something to eat, but he's supposed to be on the, in the main door, analyzing and categorizing anything that's walking through it. Which it could be political, you know, it could be anything against the Castro that you might be ended up bleeding on your head and somebody took action on you. So. She was well-known. The, the government, the, uh, on the uh, at government levels, on my city, they knew who she was. I mean, she was abusing her powers. She was giving people freedom. Anyway, so the best way to get rid of her is that. Very convenient. She walked into the hospital with aneurysm. Let's dump it right there on that room with 76 more people. And let's wait. Let's stress it. And that's what happened. It was too late. Nothing to do. And that's how they got rid of her. And at that time, then it started getting dark for me. <laughs> and I started getting uh, people uh, undercover police cars crew, uh, stationed underneath my house. And the phone was, it was tapped. Like, they wanted me to know that the phone was tapped. Like, I would lift up the phone analog. This, there's no digital phone at this point yet. So I lifted the phone, put it on my ear, I'm about to dial, and you can hear somebody breathing on the other side. They're telling me, we're listening to you. So that, and it just got worse and worse and worse. So that's when the whole windsurfing thing came out. Uh, if you're gonna kill me, fine. If I survive, uh, fine. I, I don't care. At that point, I don't care. Yeah.
0: And how did so? How did you get the windsurfing equipment and and really set off? Did you prepare for it or was it? on No, a-
1: well, it was lingering in the back of my mind. Uh, hey, yeah, I know that. I told you, we all know each other. That people that done it and, and they made, but. At first, it wasn't my my main idea. I, I, I wanted to have my own. I struggled for a long time to learn how to use them because they're not available anywhere. You pretty much, uh, somebody that lives in a touristic area has to inherit it as a gift from a tourist. And that person would sell it down the line and eventually people would get it. But uh, And that's how in the black market, again, you ended up putting your hands on one. But I started sailing, windsurfing. All day long, uh, except the time that I did something on the side to make some money, but pretty much all day long, other than that. And some friends and I, we were jogging one day, and we 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 were doing the math, and we told each other, "Hey, do you know we spend because that bay, that bay in in my city, in my city, there is maybe three four miles wide, and we spend the entire day going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But from eight a.m. to eight p.m. <laughs> and we uh we were talking one is." Do you realize if we put all this back and forward in one straight line, I think we can make it. (laughs) Instead of turning around all the time, we just might, well, just one straight line. We can make it. And that thing is staring at my mind like, huh, yeah. And we left it there. But yeah, that the seed is, and the fact that I knew the other people, yeah, all I needed was to be up to here and say, you know what, screw it, let's go. And I jump in.
0: And how old were you when you did that?
1: Uh, 24.
0: Okay. So did you you did the windsurfing attempt at 24?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Do April. You know what year was 2004? April 2004. Okay. Uh, 2004. And you know we were windsurfing all day long, and I got fed up. I don't know. I don't know exactly what triggered. Uh, but I got fed up, and I told one of my windsurfing buddies, "Hey, can you stay?" Because I had a rig, I had a bicycle thing going on with a handmade trailer that I put the stuff in the back Mm -hmm. and highly valuable. I mean, a bicycle and that thing, anything in Cuba is highly valuable, but bicycle, that's your your main means of transportation. So we don't leave that laying around. And for that reason, I told my friend, can you come home with me tonight? Stay with me tonight. I need to go somewhere there really early. I need you to go with me to take care of the stuff. And I, I think I told him, we're going to go, I want to I try to windsurf this far side of the, of the bay. And when we got there, early in the morning, early in the morning, there's no wind there. The wind is calm. And I told him, I started rigging all my equipment. And I told him, at that point, I told him, the reason I needed you is so you can take my stuff back to the house. Yeah, he was like laughing, like, hey, why? I'm leaving. Yeah, yeah, sure, you're leaving. No, I'm leaving. I'm gonna go that way and I'm gonna disappear on the horizon. And now nah, you're not. And later on, after all that thing happened, and I saw him again. He told me, I stayed on the beach, telling to myself, okay, now, now he's gonna turn. Oh, no. Okay, now he's gonna turn. Oh, he kept going. No, now he told me, I stayed there, telling myself that you were gonna turn, that you were jogging until you completely disappear out of the horizon. So I jump in got the equipment, I told him to take everything and take it home, and I got on the water. And I was struggling for the two, three miles, because there's no wind. And without wind, staying on top of the board with the sail up is very uh, tricky. And I, at, at that time, I can see two fishing boats trying to... It's very unusual. Uh, Fishermen, the few ones that have boats in Cuba, you know what? I challenge anybody to go on Google Maps, zooming over Cuba, any bay, and tell me how many you know how you do that here in Florida? You see many uh, probably own boats. You can see the track where they were going. You're not going to find one in Cuba. You're not going to see personally own fishing boats in Cuba. No one has boats in Cuba. Only very elite people. Uh, so it's very unusual. And they they go out to fish with the exact amount of fuel to go to point A, fish, and go back to point B. There's no wandering around there. So the fact that you I see two fishing boats, like, handmade handcraft, trying to intersect me or going at me on the far side of the bay. That's very unusual. I guess at that point they figured out that I was on a place that no one ever goes. because There's no business for me to windsurf from that side other than a straight shot into the ocean and disappear. So they started approaching and I was like, well, no wind. These people are coming. I think the end of the trip is going to be pretty soon. And uh, thankfully the wind picked up and I take off and left him behind. So there is a mountain uh, back in the land, there is a mountain. I don't know, at the, at the point I didn't knew exactly, this is just rumors because nobody fish around, nobody uh, have navigational charts or anything. It's all about what you heard that the fishermen said or something, or something. So the rumors in my city is that if you're out, if you're going out into the ocean and that mountain disappear on the horizon behind you, you are 30 miles away. There's a relation, there's a physical thing. There's a relation with, between the height of something and the, the curve of the air of the planet and you going away, there will be a point that it's going to disappear. So the rumor says that by the time that mountain disappeared, you were 30 miles away. So I was paying attention to that, taking a look back every so often, And I, the only thing I had with me was a watch. People tell me all the time, you didn't have a compass with you. Now, uh, What for? Dude, I only have so much of a choice where to go with the wind direction is blowing. I mean, the ideal navigation way for a wind, any wind power vessel, is right across. It's a cross reach. I mean, if, if this is the direction you're going and the wind is blowing that way, that's ideal. I mean, you can go, if this is the wind, you can go a little bit like that. But for a wind surfing board, this is the wind direction and this is where I need to go. That's not an option. So, what's the point for me to get a compass? And it's not, a compass is only useful if you have a reference point on the horizon that you can look at the compass and say, oh, the orange tree, that's where I need to go. And you put the compass away. Otherwise, you need to navigate with a compass all the time in front of you, which is not an option on a windsurfing board. So yes, people, no compass, just a watch. So I noticed that the mountain disappeared one hour after sailing. So I figured, okay, I did, I basically did 30 miles in one hour. So if I keep this up, It should be somewhere between eight or nine hours to do. And that's it. That's all the direction I I use. And hours assume speed and at how many hours I should be seeing land. So keep that in mind because it's important to know why I took the decision to chase the coast guard. So I kept going. Everything was nice. I jumped. I was airborne like three times. Out of wheel, I didn't want to jump, but uh, the 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 wave and the wind it made me jump, and I was concerned because the equipment I have is not meant to be used for jumping. Not to mention they are really old and almost falling apart in my hand. So I kept going and I see what it seems to be a, a lighthouse on the horizon, and I got really excited because at that point I was like on the hour seven, uh, six each seven hour sailing, and I was this is this might be it. So I start aiming to that object, assuming it was a lighthouse. And as I get closer and closer, I noticed the red stripe on it. Oh, it's like, that's the US Coast Guard. So I played dumb. I mean, we kept we kept like two or three miles away from each other. And I just kept going, kept going. They're not coming to me. They didn't even, I assume, they didn't even see me. So I kept going. And I, holy crap, I dodged a bullet. So at that point, let's, let's call it hour seven. I kept going towards the U.S., I think, towards the U.S., and the, and the Coast Guard kept going in the opposite direction. We disappeared from each other's view, each one on the horizon. But at that point, after an hour and a half, I started getting seaweed on the fin. The the entire sea got covered in seaweed. So it got really old, really fast. So every, every five yards that I was able to sail, I had to jump in the water again, clean the fin, and jump on again and take up, just so it happened over and over again. And just a little bit of debris on your fin is like trying to pull a building. You can't, You, you cannot have nothing on the fin. So I reached a point that I was like, I don't know what's in front of me or for how long, the whole place is full of seaweed. My only option is either keep going that way or try to see, to find the Coast Guard again. So I reached an agreement to myself at that point, I was having an argument with myself, me and my other me. When you're alone in the ocean, you do weird things. And uh, I told myself, okay, let's agree to go back the same amount of time that passed from the, mo- from the moment I saw the Coast Guard last, an hour and a half. So I agreed to myself to go an hour and a half back, the duration that the Coast Guard was. If at an hour and a half I didn't see them, i just call it off and try again or or, or sit down and drift. I don't know. But at least I tried the Coast Guard. So I did find them. I ended up catching up with them. Uh, embarrassing enough, I keep telling this to everybody. I might be the only Q that ever chases the U.S. Coast Guard. <laughs> that's that's not a good record to have. But I guess it's mine. I had to go on, and uh, <clears throat> I had to chase them almost for a half an hour. They didn't see me. Still, I'm chasing them, making sign, hand sign. They didn't see me. Somebody wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Now, from a military point of view, I would smoke somebody for not paying attention. They shouldn't be paying attention. But anyway, they ended up seeing me. Uh, they sent a, a small raft uh, to get close to me. And actually, they came to see if everything was right with me. They, they wasn't. They were inspecting I was cute. And they came to me, hey, I said, are you okay? And I told in English. I knew English. And I said, yeah, I'm okay. I need water. But I guess my accent gave me away, which I wasn't intending to. Uh, hide or anything. Uh, I was intending to drink water. That's what I was intending. And it, they, they, holy crap, you queuing? Yeah, 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 water. Can I have that bottle of water? And they were still processing the file. I was queuing. and I was focused on the bottle. Can I have that bottle of water? We can talk after that all you want. So yeah, they, they brought me back to the boat. I meet the captain, I shake hands. I guess there was a bunch of people there taking pictures and video, which I still... Ironically enough, I haven't got a copy of that. I, I need to get a copy of that.
0: I it wonder to we, we should try and find that. That sounds like it'd be fantastic to see. I'd try and
1: hey, listen up, anyone out there? If you know anybody on the Coast Guard that was stationed on a U.S. Coast Guard confidence on April two thousand four
0: in we Florida. Write that down. Yes. Coast Guard confidence. See, so I don't know if you know this, but uh, my boyfriend Jared. Do you know Black Rifle Coffee?
2: No way. Yes.
0: Yeah, so Jake, yes. <laughs> Black Riffle Coffee, is my boyfriend, and he knows everybody, so we should put him on a mission to find this, right? That'd be fantastic. Tell them
1: I love them. I'm addicted to that channel. Yeah, I, gotta... I love Black. I love him. <laughs> Matt Black, he he makes make my days, man. His <laughs> yeah. videos, all the videos they do. Hilarious.
0: Oh, okay. I'll tell him that, and let's see if we could find somebody who is on this. Yeah, That'd be fantastic. Okay, back to oh the so you're picked up. Did they just bring you back?
1: Well, luckily for me, they kept, which is very unusual. They, they, the coast guard usually sinks anything you were using on the ocean. They get rid of it, it sinks on the ocean. But luckily for me, and I don't know why, they kept all my windsurfing equipment, probably because it doesn't take a lot of space. You can roll the sail and you can put it with a board. But that saved me. That, that saved me of a lot of years in prison. Because when we got back, so I would get there. So, yeah, I get on the, on the conference. I sail with them for like three days. They uh, approach uh, land, and an immigration officer comes on board, and they give me and everybody else an interview. Because, I mean, if you can prove fear of, of repression, I mean, part of the U.S. at that time, uh, adjustment law, uh, what's the name of the law? The Cuban law. Do You know, there, there's a specific law for Cuban migrants. At that time, it's, it's yeah. gone now. There's no more of that, which I'm, I'm happy. With. The, the migration that was coming here is not a good one. And every, listen, people, I know the, some of people were saying that thank you for coming legally and not illegally. I, I totally agree with that. The reason why I tried to reach the US illegally is could it be anything? Not the US. I want to be free or dead. Free or dead. If I land anywhere, I don't care. But I agree. Every country should have a, like, like anybody here has a house, you have a door and a key to your house. If those rules, if you get to select who enters your house or not, same thing applies to the country, which is a good point of argument towards uh, Barack Obama that calls the wall, the southern border wall, inhumane. But when he bought that mansion in DC, before he even moved in, he built an eight foot tall wall. So how the hell the wall works for him it is not inhumane for him, but it's inhumane for the country. If that's the case, I should be able to walk into Nancy Pelosi's house, demand for a room and free food and clothing and some money every month. That's why you want for the country, why it doesn't apply to your house. So <clears throat> I spent three days with them. I got my interview. Then we got transferred to a smaller boat, and that boat is the one that enters Cuba on a predetermined point. There's an agreement to return... Uh, Migrants. The exchange happens on this Mariel. That's the name of the of the port. The port of Mariel, that's a little bit west to the Havana City. And right there uh, when the American Coast Guard ducks, there will be an American officer on land from the intersection. That's the only person allowed to come on board and they hand, hand each one of us a yellow envelope mm-hmm. with your paperwork and the stuff you need. So at that point, we are handed over to the Q and KGB. Mm -hmm. And what I was saying that that saved me is because they also hand over my windsurfing equipment. Mm -hmm. Because even though they got my, the the Q and KGB, got the the windsurfing equipment on their hands, they still try to incriminate me on some kind of tractor engine that got lost and used into a handcraft raft or something. Are you an imbecile? You got my windsurfing equipment with you. And I don't even have a clothing with me. I had a wetsuit. Do you think uh, I jump on that raft that you said I stole with, with the engine and carry a windsurfing equipment just for fun? That was, again, you try to make sense of Cuba. It doesn't make sense. It's like it's Alice in Wonderland. Yeah.
0: There's Everything's They're trying to tie you to something yeah.
1: else. Steel. They try to tie me to it. Having my windsurf but at the end. The obvious prevail, and me insisting a lot, and they say, "Okay, okay, you know, you don't have anything to do with it, lost engine." So yeah, they hand me. today. I got my yellow envelope, and that that envelope started the whole process of three years for a political refugee status. And I mean, I didn't have to work too hard to prove that I uh, I, I had the the qualification for a political refugee, as you can imagine.
0: Mm-hmm. The
1: thing I was having.
0: So it took three years, and did you just fly out at that point after the yep. mark? You got your refugee status, and you were welcomed in, or?
1: Yeah, there's a. I can't remember the organization. It's one of those .org that yeah. handle handles uh, uh, refugees. They do uh, the whole um, arrangement for you to fly the plane ticket, where you're going. In my case, they would have provided for some houses, but in my case, I choose to go to my friend's house in New York City. And he agreed to help, so that's less bargain on the government. And uh just so you know, I paid back the plane ticket.
2: Really? That, yes.
1: That, that org, they uh if you can, if you had the means, you you pay you pay back the plane ticket. And I did. It took me a year <laughs> cutting off $35 out of my paycheck, but I paid off. I paid off the ticket. So no hands out. I don't like it.
0: That's awesome. I'll have to look up that organization. Uh, what was it like going to New York City once you're finally in America,
1: though? Is uh, well, as I said, I landed, uh, I, so I flew to Miami and then I, I took another plane uh, later on the day. So that made me land in New York City at night. That's being that high, at that high that the plane, I knew that the plane has to be. You know, as, as you go higher, you're able to see more further away. So I'm that high in my mind. I'm this high, and I still see light to the horizon. It is impressive. It, it's, it tells you, it tells the story of how powerful this nation can be. The things that can be accomplished. Because I know 90% of those buildings in New York City, they are made by hand. rivet after rivet, ribbit. riveting. there's no, at the time, there was no welding technology. They had to heat up every rivet, put it on the hole, and hammer And these people were walking on those bins. That tells you the balls of this nation, man. They build all that when people get together on something that serious, that that good. Because New York City is made completely by immigrants. Completely, the massive Italian immigration, the massive Truelli Islands, the massive Irish immigration. You, I mean, the, the first name of New York City was New Holland. It was it was made by, it was founded by Dutch migrants. From day zero.
0: That's fantastic. Don't you, didn't you say that your first meal was like a big cheeseburger or something and you couldn't Yeah.
1: consider? That, that was huge. Even today, I, I remember that day like it was right now. Huge. <laughs> I had no idea that a hamburger can be that big. And so you can see for the years later on, I grew a fan of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you look
1: holy, holy cow man that that was huge and I, I couldn't finish it up and that was very it made me feel bad I can I don't want to be the guy asking for a bag or a plate I don't know I'm new I'm fresh I'm new I don't want to be the guy like hey can I take this you know home or later on I don't know what's going on I'm like is it okay is it wrong can I touch it with my fingers can I get okay this is how traumatized I'm coming from Cuba we went to, me and my friends in New York City, we went to Coney Island. They started crossing from the point when we take leave the, the subway and we start walking towards the actual boardwalk. They started walking over the grass. And I went around and looking for the sidewalk, which was like 500 yards away. And I started walking there, they turned on me. and looked, Hey, what are you doing? So I don't want to step on the grass, man. I don't want to take it, I don't want to get a fine. They literally, what fine? You don't get fine here? Come here and walk on the grass. You're in America, the grass is free. <laughs> yes, you. You get a fine if you walk on grass in Cuba. Jeez. Now, on so
0: how did you? What was the transition for you to be in New York City to finally get to America? How did you join the military? Why did you do that?
1: The m- first time I had a free weekend, I went to the recruiter station. Really. The first one. Yes. Right away. I always wanted to be part of this because this is just just so you understand. At that point, I'm this guy that grew up knowing. I mean, from the moment I opened my eyes in the 90s, you know, when I got the talk, I started researching and then finding out things for myself. When I realized that the United States was the first country in the world that revolted against the king and made themselves free, this is the first nation that had a constitution. This is the first people in the planet that revolted against the the the, the king of queens and made themselves free. When I find out that, I, I had to be part of it.
2: Wow.
1: And my last, my, you know, my last name means weapons, <laughs> armas. That's I what mean. my last name means. Yeah, weapons, armas means weapons. So I got, I had to be on the army. So uh, the, the first chance I got, I went to the army recruiter station. I took a practice test of the OSBOT test. It's a test you had to get in. And I failed it and failed it and failed it. To be, uh, to be, to pat myself on the back. The way you guys do mathematics here is way different the way we do it there. You see the way we do division. <laughs> you, you, you will get a headache. And so I, I I realized that I needed time to study. But having the job, I was sweeping floors on a barber salon for a, for a bare minimum pay. Very happy to do so. With a big smile, I will get my miserable paycheck. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> That didn't give me time to to study. I have I was too tired. The, the little bit of time I had was to sleep and go to work. Sleep and go to work, mm-hmm. but I needed to study the asphalt test. So I tried many times to to enlist. I had to pass it. First, I needed the green card to be finalized because as a political refugee, you got the resident status, but the whole process of a, of a, having the green card, which is the bare minimum requisite to join the military, and and the GED at least. And I needed my green card first, so I had to wait. And then I needed to study for the ASVAT test. And that didn't happen until I ended up moving to Miami. And I met my good friend, a Coast Guard captain. He dedicated a lot of nights. After I was done with work, I would go to his house. And he would pretty much sit down with, there with me and practice math. And we practiced like crazy the Asba test from top to bottom. And I scored high enough on the Asba test. So in the military, in the army, at least, in order to get any special operations uh, MOS, you had to have a high GT score. So the the ASVAT test gets broken in pieces, like uh, mathematics, uh, geography, so so so. I don't know exactly where they, when they break it in pieces, where the GT score come from, but is for the army, your GT, which I think is general knowledge, has to be above a hundred and ten to be able to get on a on on high end. Uh, high speed military careers. And I ended up with 111. Not bad for an immigrant. I scored higher than 90% of my entire infantry platoon. <laughs> That's amazing. That was going, I was, before I got hurt, I got hurt, uh, my back, my, my my lower back and my ligaments in my feet, they got destroyed in Afghanistan, like useless. I had to roll out of the bed to get out of but I cannot stand up like, you know, like Dracula. <laughs> I've right, I had to roll, drop on the floor, get on my knees, and then from there I can get up. But um I was at the time I got medical discharge, honorable, in case you want to know, but medical. Uh I got uh, I was about to transfer into uh special operations, which is civil affairs. I had all the recruiter done, all the paperwork done. Because when you come back from deployment and you're multilingual and you have combat experience. You pop, you, you pop on their database like you are a desirable candidate for those stuff. Having high GT score, having a multilingual thing, and having a combat experience, that that makes you an ideal candidate to go. Especially coming from infantry, which means you are in the top shape. Uh, you're supposed to be in top shape, but that medical thing flagged me out. And that's one that's probably the biggest what if in my life. Every time I got it. A time alone that I'm not doing anything, I always, my mind always wandering goes back to that point. What if? I guarantee you, who knows? I would have been involved in Venezuela right now <laughs> doing sneaky stuff.
0: <laughs> well, that is, that's a good point. The big what if. But I think you have so much that's going to happen for you and I'm really excited for you for sure. You said you were in Afghanistan twice or?
1: uh No, one time.
0: Okay. Wow. but
1: almost a year. The, the way the army deploys is long deployments. It's not like the navy. The navies are really short. And
0: yeah, no, I I swear we. You should come to Texas. I live in Texas now, and I like Jared. They film the podcast out here, and they do free range American. I don't know if you've heard of that. If you listen to the podcast, but they have a guest every time who's basically from the military. They tell their story. They kind of just talk with the guys. Nice. Would be such a good guest. So I'm gonna talk to Jared after this because I think that would fly out, and you could bring the kids or whatever you need to do. But um, I know that might be difficult. Uh, let's close this off with your thoughts on what's going on with America right now, because uh, you did all of this to come it's to crazy. America, right? Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts as somebody who escaped it, lived it, and now you're seeing young Americans, naivete, and where our ignorance is
1: really... You're we not going to like it. Yeah. You're not going to like my views. I think we screwed. Because we already passed too many checkpoints on how to become a dictatorship. And once, remember, it's always on the name of the greater good. They never come back. Christmas never came back to you after we lost it. Okay, one of the check marks in order to to acquire absolute control of a country. Control the media. Did that happen or not? It's done. The media, it's it's absolute, they they have absolute control of the media. To the point that the people are so brainwashed, that God forbid you express yourself on the street. If I say that support Trump on the street, I get in trouble. People will get on my face. Americans that should have on brain the brain the whole thing that this is the nation of the free and you're entitled to have your own thought and political views and belief. Those same Americans don't have that on their mind anymore. They feel entitled to get on your face and challenge you, which is gonna end it up really bad with me, but it's gone. You already see the result. The people are brainwashed. Not to mention the millennials. They already believe that the socialism is a sweet candy land. And it's not. People, it's socialism is the roofing to, to make you compliant. Of course, they're gonna make it look sweet and tasty and nice for everybody and nice for the environment. Do you knew that on the 70s? You know how they are all crazy about the global warming now? Do you need the understand it was all the opposite? Global freezing? Somehow they fixed global freezing now. And now we are on warming. It's bull crap. The planet goes through a cycle of heating and cooling. It's normal. The poles, the freezing poles, they're gonna rotate a couple degrees, melt on one side, refreeze on the other. And it's gonna go back. It takes millions, of, thousands of years, but it's a cycle. The planet has done it forever. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be going around spilling oil. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, though, we're basically going through the checklist of what happens in every socialist communist uprising. And to act like we aren't is incredibly...
1: I got one more for you. Extremely creepy. What is he doing with the Supreme Court right now?
0: Oh, yeah, packing the court. That's what Chavez did.
1: What else do you need to... get? Yes, that's what I mean. What else do you need to start raising the hair on the back of your neck? Yeah. What's next? Guns? Yeah, because guns kill people. Huh? How well, about the guy? How about the ISIS guy that rented a U-Haul truck in New York City and started plowing to people? Let's ban trucks now. Trucks kill people.
0: Well, so what do you think about this? I've had a lot of people from Venezuela say that Antifa and these these like street people that we're seeing terrorize everyone. I'm seeing that people from Venezuela compare them to the Chavistas, the collectivos of Venezuela, that basically became the paid police once the socialists were in power. Was there an equivalent to this in Cuba?
1: Yeah, uh, it's called Brigadas de Acción Rápida, Brigades of Quick Response.
0: Yeah, that's what it's called. Antifa is basically that in America. Yeah,
1: but the the difference is that in Cuba, Cuba, they don't need to hide or cover themselves in black and, and wear a mask, it's official. And the way they do it in Cuba is that the people is the one that got on the street and tried to destroy your house. It's the people supporting the revolution. But what you don't know is that those people, during the regular day job, they wear a uniform, green. They're part of the police or part of the army.
0: Yeah. And that's what happened in Venezuela, too. They used to be people who were just out in the streets. They used to just be, like, grassroots terrorist-style people. And then oh, when the no, left no. started to get power, they became official. They got uniforms. They started to get- oh, no, 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 but I'm
1: going to tell you right now, Black Lives Matter and Antifa, they're not independent anymore. The moment Black Lives Matter gave $24 million to Joe Biden campaign, you are political now. Not to mention the founder, ironically, the founder bought a house, a mansion, million in a white neighborhood. Black people are being manipulated in the U.S. That's why they want America. Black people that are listening to this, look at me. They want you racial sensitive to create division because if you divide, you conquer. And if you're busy fighting to each other, that's how they take place. And they play the racial card to manipulate your feelings. When in reality, facts. You don't care about feelings. And they're manipulating that hurt, that pain. They're the ones that don't let it go. Slavery for 400 years ago. Jewish people were almost exterminated 60 years ago. But no one has any interest on the Jewish side in order to keep that pain alive and the manipulation and create division. But did you have that interest on the Black community of America? And it pissed me off. You all should wake up. That Glass Candoms Owens is there to spread the voice. I'm getting acid reflex.
0: <laughs> She's I'm great, I, this was a fantastic conversation and I think people are gonna learn so much from this. I can't thank you enough for coming on and talking, right? Can I ask you one last thing? Yeah. Considering everything that's happening in America, I also think that we are fairly screwed. I, it's gonna take a lot of work to get us out of the hole that we're in right now. And by that, I mean like 80% through the checklist of what it, I think we are 80% through the checklist of what it means to transition into a leftist regime, a leftist state. What would your one suggestion be for young young Americans, older Americans, just to understand the situation and fight back? Do you have one or two things that you want people to learn and take from this?
1: Number one, learn to survive. Like literally learn to survive because you're going to need it. You're going to need a source of water because I don't see the the future too far when water supply is going to be absolutely controlled by the government. I mean, Let's make everything wrong by the government because the government is more efficient. You people, private industry, you don't know better. We know better The government. But they always on the name of the greater good. So let's picture they get, they reach that point that they control everything now. You know, healthcare, the government needs to control it in order to be able to provide it for everybody. Yeah, let's do it. Done, check mark. The healthcare is completely controlled by the government and so on and so on and so on. And eventually water source and food is gonna be controlled by the government because you people, Don't know how to run businesses. The government knows how Mm -hmm. to do that. So control the water, control the food. They control the people. So number one, I would say learn to survive. You can go 10 days without food. You can go almost nothing without water. Number two, learn a lot of stuff. Learn because you're going to need it. You either trade. Trade is going to become currency. Money is going to lose all value. You're not going to be able to buy anything with money. I know because it happened in Cuba. Money in Cuba is might as well be monopoly money. So how do you? How does the doctor in Cuba give you a good service? You are a farmer, you bring potato, you bring meat, you bring pork, and you give it to the doctor. And the doctor is, oh, okay, I can feed my family. What do you need? That's in reality how Cuba runs today, trading. Mm-hmm. So get good at something, find something that is going to be out of value. In my opinion, I think ammo, ammunition, is going to become currency. Don't freak out, you liberals. Ammo can hunt animals and feed you. It's not just defending. You can, you can, you can kill game and, and feed your family with ammo. That's why one of the main thing ammo is that valuable. Um, source of water, ammo, and transportation. Those, those are the main things that are gonna make you a king because <laughs> ironically, you could, you can make a fortune if you can supply a high demand. If there's a high demand for transportation, I mean, in today's day, you know who makes a lot of money in Cuba on a transportation thing? People with horses and wagons. Wow. Money. I mean, that's the top of the technology now to provide, provide mass transportation and people have demand. So, yes, people are going to get that. bad. my advice, learn to survive, buddy. Because the only way this place is going to get fixed is once we hit rock bottom, which we're pretty close. And you all millennial, you're in for a surprise. You're going to remember my damn name. You're in for the rude awakening. You're going to learn what it is to eat from the trash. Are you okay from eating from the trash? Because I am. I don't give a damn. I will eat a chicken, rotting chicken from the, for the cabbage can. Can you do that? Because you're going to have to. I'm sorry, but we're heading that way. In order to know what we have right now, we need to lose it completely. I mean, you don't have to be blind. We all know we passed the point of talking. There's no more talking. Because the other side doesn't want to listen and they want to impose us their narrative. We're done, there's no more talking. Antifa, there's no talking with Antifa, done. Black Lives Matter, there's no talking with them. That's it, everybody's blind on their corners. So we're going down people, we're going down.
0: I mean, it's a great lesson. Thank you for saying that. I completely agree. I think survival skills are are going to be very necessary moving forward. Uh, We saw that with the power outages in Texas all of a sudden, people who usually don't. You got to
1: take, I was laughing, yeah. people freaking out for a couple of hours or no lights. <laughs> that was my entire teenage years.
0: Yeah, yeah. And well, and in California, I mean, we see those like rolling power outages and everything. It's it's pretty crazy there. Uh, but Ray, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate Anytime. it. Anytime. I think everybody who's listening and who's going to watch this, I think they're going to really appreciate this too. So on behalf of everybody, thank you. <laughs>